Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Brandon Rossbon. I'm Mark Barber. I'm Pius Castro. I'm Ben Stoddard. And I'm Mark Zelensky. Welcome to another episode of Countercharge. Boy, we have an exciting episode for you today. I'm so excited when we have the authors join us here on the show. And so we have the fabulous Mark Barber with us to kind of give us some insights into what's going on and kind of peer into his mind and see what's coming up. And then, of course, we have the fabulous Brandon Rossbond with us here to kind of keep us in check. Is that what your job is there, Brandon? Make sure we don't reveal too much information? More or less. We'll go with that. Sure. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Or we can try to pry uh, some secrets out of you, too. So, uh, you know, if you listen to our last episode, we kind of had a surprise there and a little preview of the announcement that we made. But I don't want to spoil the show, so we're going to get into that. So, But speaking of getting into the show, why don't we go ahead and go around the table and see what we've been doing for hobby updates. So uh, we've got a full show today, so there should be some fun and interesting things going on. So, Brandon, do you have anything on your hobby table right now? So that's an interesting question. So I am not necessarily doing anything painting and sculpting wise, but I am more so expanding the novel universe of books. I'm not sure if you guys saw on Facebook, but we've signed a deal with uh, Anvil 8 Games to do books for them. And we also are going to be doing books with two other big companies that I can't announce yet because the announcements are still pending. But um, we have two other really big companies we're going to be doing novels with soon. So look forward to that. Actually, the announcements might have gone live by the time this one airs because we're at the tail ends of just laying them out. But we have we've got a lot of new companies we're working with books for. So our lore universe of novels is ever expanding to different games. So that's kept me pretty busy. Well, that's pretty good, but we were discussing your blaster with Cutlass there, so you've got to get blaster at least assembled and painted here since Armada's coming, you know? Yep, I've got blaster in my in with my other Kings of War miniatures, so I've got a full uh, Basileian army, and blaster is my sole goblin that's with them, so he's there. I've got him. I was very happy to get him at the last Adepticon I went to, and he's proudly sitting with the others. Oh, Adepticon, how I miss you. Yes, I'm certainly hoping that this will all be over and we can enjoy Adepticon 2021. So, fingers crossed, we'll see how that goes. Very, very cool. All right. So, Mr. Barber, do you have anything on your hobby desk? A couple of little things. It's been pretty busy here with everything that's been going on. So, yeah, and also writing, uh, which I guess we'll talk about in a bit. But hobby-wise, discovering new games, really, two of them. So um, I've had uh, I've I finally found out a little bit about Infinity, which is blowing my mind with how different it is and how cool the miniatures are, uh, and also uh, Aeronautica Imperialis, which a good friend of mine, Gaz Walsh, who's one of my co-authors in Bolt Action, he sent over his copy because he kind of I think it wasn't for him. So uh, I've been getting into that as well and trashing his tournament-winning paint schemes with my own by painting over his miniatures so that's been good fun so you've been painting over his miniatures yeah because i bought them off him 
Yeah, he literally wins to uh, painting tournaments over here. He's a fantastic painter. So I've I've trashed all of his like law friendly paint schemes for Imperial Navy stuff by doing him in World War Two Royal Navy colours. So he's going to be really angry with me. I can't wait to send him the photos. Hey, send me the photos. I want to yeah, see them. Yeah, will do. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. So how are you handling lockdown? Every time we have guests on, we talk about that too. So how are you surviving the pandemic? Lockdown has just kind of increased our hours, really. Uh, my, my wife is a, uh, a nurse who works in um, intensive care. So as you can imagine, her working hours have gone through the roof. My hours have been busy, but not as busy as hers. So... Yeah, yeah. The, the lockdown for us has been, yeah, really busy, really challenging. Yeah, that's kind of like for me. Uh, I have never been busier in my entire life. So for some reason at my office, the pandemic doesn't exist. So we are moving full steam ahead. So like I said, it's been absolutely crazy for me. I'm probably working an extra 16 plus hours a week over what my normal schedule is just because of the volume that we're doing. It's absolutely amazing. So, well, as long as everybody's being safe and well over there, I know last time I spoke with Steve Hildrew, he was going to get locked it back down again. So it's just kind of sporadic over there with the lockdowns in the UK. I think that word sums it up, sporadic. It's uh, it's all over the place. It's very regional. For our, for our little country, uh, there's still huge variations in kind of how it's affecting different areas of the country in the area of the country i'm in we've been very lucky but for, for you know family and stuff i've got in other areas it's a very different picture so yeah yeah it's all over the place well hopefully everyone will be well and safe so speaking of well and safe felix you're down in montgomery county around that area aren't you so they're level three on the ohio uh four step code there so Right. I mean, when you talk about, you know, sporadic, I mean, you want to talk about sporadic. You got the United States in our uh, in our handling of the of the pandemic. Um, Yeah. Montgomery County's. Yeah, we're we're pretty much up there. But then, you know, Montgomery County, because that's how our states are are subdivided. Unless you're in Louisiana, that's a parish for some reason. Montgomery County has one of the major cities of Ohio, which is Dayton. So, I mean, you talk about a large geographic concentration of people and yeah you're, you're gonna run into those things but for me I'm, I'm not too bad i'm slowly going insane working from home uh, i think i eclipsed six months working from home early about two weeks ago so which has kind of helped and hindered the hobby uh, aspect of the of the thing because my work computer is about five feet away from where i'm talking to you guys right now on my hobby desk so in some respects i'm kind of like I just spent 40 hours a week down here. Do I really want to spend two to three more a night, <laughs> you know, you know, we're working on painting. So that's, that's definitely hurt the hobby aspect in, in that part, but I have been working on stuff. I'm doing the painters of Panathor blog for Mantic, uh, working on abyssal dwarves. So slowly, but surely, mostly sure, uh, mostly slowly, painting i think right now i've got a horde of lesser obsidian golems and a abyssal half-breed champion finished and hopefully within the next week shall have my regiment of black souls painted up so nowhere near the thousand points we're supposed to have but it's something progress is progress uh, I, I mentioned that in my blog most recent entry is you know it's it's something you know it's it's better than nothing and in, in how to get those quick gains or quick victories when it comes to painting can help motivate you to, to continue, continue painting. So that's pretty much all I got, really, for that. I mean, other than that, uh, family's good. 
safe. So. Well, that's all that matters. So, hey, you were announcing Pee Wee football, too, it looked like on Facebook there. So, Yeah, yeah, I was. I accidentally uh, – so Pee Wee American football, so you're talking – first grade through sixth grade. So, you know, kind of primary school ages. I did it last week for my son's team and I made the mistake of not doing bad enough to get fired. Um, so my son's coach, my son's team was actually on a bye this week, so they weren't even playing, but the normal person that does the announcing for the games was on vacation. So they asked me to say, Hey, yeah, word of you doing well at last week's game has hit the the, the football board of directors. Uh, they've asked you to to do the games for Saturday. So since my son was on a bye, I wasn't doing anything. So I was like, sure, why not? Still tried to get fired, but it didn't work out. You know, in my normal shenanigans of calling games like I'm calling a soccer game or I'm calling a baseball game wasn't working out. So, uh, but no, it was fun. So. It's all that podcast training, see? So, you know, you, you can't help yourself. That That is probably part of it, being able to clearly enunciate into a microphone and talk and stuff like that, have that measured voice was probably what people liked. But, yeah, no, it wasn't wasn't bad. So, Quick question for you on your Abyssal uh, Army project. Where would you get those bases from? It's looked like you're doing, like, wooden planks. I'm assuming those are resin. No, that's actually um, Sculpey. And uh, I bought... Let me see if I can get the name right of where I got the rolling pads from. It was uh, Happy Seppuku. They have a wood narrow plank texture roller. It's like a little silicone uh, rubber mat, and I just did that in Sculpey. Baked it and just painted it up like that. So that's how I'm getting the wooden base look. I I'm, I'm probably could have done it in resin for probably less time involved, but I was trying to do this on the cheaper. And so my army is a... Uh, the, the theme for my army is an abyssal dwarf kind of naval raiding force, So, which I guess ends up being a little uh, apropos for this podcast. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I just wanted to kind of have them. I'm imagining because somewhere in my head, canon, I remember like chaos dwarves from Warhammer being like raiders and they would go grab slaves and then take them back to wherever the heck chaos dwarves did their thing i i wasn't a warhammer player but i just like in my head remember reading that in an old white dwarf magazine so i was like well hey abyssal dwarves let's have them you know they got to get their slave works from somewhere or you know get the slaves to to make grotesques and all that stuff so i figured hey naval raiding force so that's why i have the uh, wooden plank you know ship decking look to their bases how do you get the consistency with the thickness of the bases if you're using Sculpty. I really don't. That's the. Uh, <laughs> uh, really, uh, you just try and get as much as you can. And then I'm really not being too. I just kind of roll with it. Just kind of get it to as much of a regular thickness on the Sculpty as I can when I'm rolling it out. So. And how do you make sure you get the right base size, too? Well, basically, when I roll it, when I, once I flatten it out and then I actually make the impressions of the wooden planks, I will then place the bases on top of it and I'll cut it. But before I bake the Sculpey, I will basically use an X-Acto knife and kind of cut lines into the shape of that base. And so when it's done baking, I can kind of break it off and file it down, sandpaper it down to make sure it fits the size of the base. Well, you're working really hard on this project, Felix. So, uh, you know, don't feel bad about the model count. I mean, you're really putting some time in. Yeah, I mean, I really could have probably just bought some resin base with wooden planking and it would have been, you know easier but you know why spend 
12 bucks on something when I can probably spend hours upon hours with like $30 worth of materials to, you know, get the same result. So. All right, Ben, you're also in the painters of Panthor challenge there. I think I saw some uh, horrors or something like that on your latest update. Yeah, I just did a thing of horror rift weavers, but I didn't like the idea of just four of their horrors in a row. So I took their Mortarburst Necromancer that they had, the epic version of him, and put him on there. And the whole idea of my army is that the Night Stalkers have latched onto this this mayor of this town who witnessed his whole town get slaughtered while he kind of hid in the basement of the town hall kind of thing. And so he's racked by all this guilt and anger and all this, all these strong emotions that the night stalkers are drawn to. And so they're using him as kind of like this anchor to this world. And so everything's kind of like all my basing is built around like a ruined village slash farming community. And he's the epicenter. So he's the only non night stalker model. And the idea was that the rift, the horrors were around him kind of whispering or, shouting in his ears it looks like they're doing kind of thing those high emotions going is the idea behind the the model there that i did but yeah as far as hobbies going i just finished a non-mantic like chaos dragon thing that i'm going to use for my uh void lurker and then i've got some reapers that i'm working on right now but their base is kind of uninspiring right now so i'm trying to figure out how to how to spruce that up and then i've got another horde of scarecrows to do after that which makes me a little nauseous as I'm thinking about it right now, actually. Yeah, that's that's what I've got on my painting table right now. Beyond that, I've started writing a few blurbs for the um, for the RPG for with Mark uh, Langworthy. He asked me to, to see if I wanted to add anything for the Trident Realms or Trident Realm uh, section of the the rule book for fluff so i jumped in there and then I'm, now i'm working on a another section as well to just kind of help round out some of the fluff for that for him did you have any idea i mean based on your deadlines on when we might see the rpg it's been kind of on again off again because um you know mark's been sick on and off and his family and all that so i mean i'm excited to see it come out so yeah he has not communicated with me as far as when things are going to be available, I do know that they are still progressing at a relatively steady pace. But I, because I, I know he's still communicating with Mantic, I know he's been getting the stuff that I've submitted to him approved. So I know it's still, it's still moving forward. It has not stalled out. He is still working on it. It is still progressing. Um, as far as deadlines go, though, I'm not nearly important enough to to get that kind of information from him. So. Oh, Ben, you're more important than you think. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. At least to Brandon. So <laughs> fantastic. And for my hobby update, well, as you know, we've started our hobby challenge uh, just to kind of keep you moving, just a participation challenge. You don't have to be the best or anything like that. So I, for some reason, picked up the Warhammer 40K 9th Edition Recruit uh, starter box. You know, it's like 50 bucks U.S., so... I am putting those models together kind of for the challenge. This is a palette cleanser because I am looking at Armada coming out, and I uh, went big on Armada, so I'm really, really looking forward to that. Have my pre-order in with War Room Hobbies down there in Memphis, Tennessee. And, of course, we have Halpies coming. If you've been listening to Countercharge, we have lots and lots of coverage on that. 
So that book is coming out. And then we have a new starter box set that's going to be featuring the new Ratkin and Goblins. So I am torturing myself with some of these super cool uh, Games Workshop models that uh, fit together like a Rubik's Cube. And uh, they're very well engineered, and I can really appreciate them. And I am looking forward to seeing how the new Mantic models go together. So this is my palette cleanser as I get ready for literally just hordes of Mantic models coming in. I believe the starter set releases on October 12th, something around there. And then, of course, Armada is going to be coming in November. So I'm going to be really busy, and you've just heard a preview of my hobby updates Coming up, I'm also feeling guilty that I haven't finished the first box set. I hate building scarecrows, and I still have them to build out of my first starter set. So I'll probably have to finish those up. So we'll see how it goes. Ben, I mean, do you like assembling those scarecrow models, or what's scaring you about putting a horde of them together? It's mostly just doing another horde after having just finished one. I, I honestly, as far as semantic models go, I'm disliking the, the Reapers far more than the Scarecrows. I actually like the Scarecrows. They were, they're pretty, pretty easy. The thing I don't like about the Reaper, yeah, the Reapers is the, the mold lines. You know how they have those long, like blade, like appendages coming out of their back. Well, the mold line goes right along that long, skinny point that's protruding from the top. And so it, it's just a pain to clean that up off of every one of them. And you feel I feel like I'm going to snap off the, the, the points every time I do it. And they don't file super great. And so it just takes a long time to clean them up to the point where you, you can't really tell if there's a mold line there or not. So that's that's been the the headache of current right now. But as far as the scarecrows go, it's just a matter of putting together 30 plus of them and putting them right. on a base. And, it's probably, and it's probably just volume. <laughs> yeah. So many, so many. And so many. that's only two of the, like the three or four hordes that I need for the list that I'm imagining in my head. Jeez. I, I think you wanted to rethink that list there, Ben. So. Maybe. <laughs> really strong motivation to rethink it. Yes. Absolutely. There you go. All right. Well, very, very cool. I'm very happy you and Felix are doing that. Uh, Painters of Panathor, so we can follow your progress online. So, but uh, very cool. Well, hey, that was a long uh, segment with our hobby updates. Why don't we go ahead and slide into a commercial break? We're going to come back on the other side, and we're going to get into the main topic for today's show, and that is all about Mark Barber and his upcoming projects with Wing Tassar Publishing. Hello, this is Duncan Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, and you're listening to Count Charge. And welcome back. All right, it's main topic time. So we've got listener questions. We got Ben. We've got Felix. We got Mark. We got Brandon. So settle back with your favorite beverage of choice and enjoy, because I know I'm going to. Ben, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Uh, yeah. All right. So, um, well, Mark, we we know this is technically your third book now that you've written because i know you have steps deliverance and its sequel and now there's this one right this is your third yeah yeah it's, it's, it's the third in this setting so but in terms of the release uh schedule it will be the second just to, to kind of coincide with the uh the stuff coming out of mantic hq so for those who have been living under a rocker haven't been hearing any of the uh, updates recently about Armada and stuff like that. Well, can you give us a, just a rough synopsis or the the elevator pitch of what what your what this book is about? In a nutshell, in one sentence, it's about some dudes on a boat. Going a bit deeper than that, it's 
about uh, it, it's mainly about the the crew of a Basilean frigate, uh, which is a kind of medium nudging towards larger size warship, who are involved in anti piracy duties in the infancy, and it's all also about a uh, an orc crudger who's kind of. Uh, broadening his horizons by stepping out of uh, the normal stuff orcs do, and decide that he's going to be he's going to do the the conquest on sea kind of thing and start his own pirate fleet. And it's about a small squadron of frigates clashing against um, these orc pirates and kind of how the two are trying to outdo each other until the final battle at the end. And for those non-mantic players, I've been kind of pitching it as imagine Pirates of the Caribbean in a Tolkien setting. So Pirates of the Caribbean with elves and dwarves and salamanders and all that good stuff, it's got that high seas action and that l- nice little bit of comedy in it that doesn't detract from the main plot. So I, I know the Armada kind of caught, I think most people kind of, that announcement kind of caught a lot of people uh, off guard. How did Mantic approach you guys in terms of like, <laughs> hey, we need you to write this, or we would like you to write this novel about this project that no one knows about that we want to like how did that come about what was the genesis of of having to write that so in the early i want to say early this year end of last year we kind of had a big call with uh mantic and all of our authors and we kind of established where we wanted to go with the series of the books and you know how we're going to be taking on bigger topics and everything and then uh matt gilbert sent me an email after that saying all right so the first big project we want to work on is we have a naval game coming out and we really want a book to launch with it and i was like that's great when are we doing it he goes november so i was like uh okay because the thing to take into consideration is we need a we usually book novel novels out at least a year in advance to try to get pre-orders listing on our distributors advanced reviews etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, the more time the better to kind of get these books out so having a short deadline like that was initially like a Ugh, we already have our pub schedule booked throughout the end of the year so yeah, I, I weighed it and I, I said to Vince, I'm like, you know, this is a very big deal. If we can get a novel to launch with a new game, that's that's a big deal. You know, no no other company has offered us that thing. So they they kind of just teased us with the ideas at first. And Matt was talking to me about, oh, you know, it's a naval game and this is what I want to do. And I'm like, OK, all right, let me let me reach out to some different people. And um, I didn't really want to expand it to the reach too much because I didn't want to uh, let too many people know that something like this was coming out. I just said, hey, are you interested in writing a naval book set in the Kings of War setting? And I had a couple authors I, I pitched it to who hadn't done too much with us, but I knew that they were familiar with the scene. And they all told me no. They said it was too short of time or they didn't have to, uh, interest in it. And I knew Mark was the perfect fit for this book. But Mark was kind of involved in a, a lot of other projects. I think it was kind of we were just working on the end of Steps of Deliverance and we were starting Faith Aligned and Mark had a couple other things with us. And so I didn't want to overburden him with more. So Vince said, you know, just reach out to him, see if he's interested. You know, if this is a big deal for us, it should be a big deal for him, too. So Mark and I talked about it and he was, you know, Mark, I think you were a little hesitant at first because, again, the time schedule. 
The, yeah, the, the the timeline involved was was tight, definitely. But you know, cutting ahead to the chase, that's not for a second to say that it was rushed. Yeah, hand on heart, it wasn't it wasn't rushed. Uh, if I had another year to work on it, it wouldn't really be much different. That was the best I could do, just because I, I, once it got up and running, there was so much enthusiasm for it. I think yeah, as I told you, at its peak, I was writing like five thousand words a day when it, when it really got going, which is which is a fair. A fair rate, but yeah, the timeline was was certainly concerning. I think I've written in terms of straight history books and um, gaming books aside, you know, the non-fiction stuff. This is, I think, my eleventh book, and this is the fastest I've had to work in fifteen years of writing. It has been really fast. Uh, and then there was also the um, the naval aspect because it's it's kind of like on the one hand, crews of uh, golden age of sail sailing ships, and despite uh, what most people think of you, we have moved on from wooden ships now. I mean. <laughs> About three years ago, I think. It's tricky. So I got in touch with guys who, who knew the proper Navy, the real Navy and all that stuff. And I got a, I got a lot of help with the planning of it before we, we then, you know, went into uh, giving a sales pitch back to Mantic. And the thing is also, you know, we Mark worked very closely with uh, Matt to make sure the vision was exactly how Mantic wanted to see the transition from, you know, Armada to Pius. And Matt's words, it was exactly what he wanted. So we're we're really happy about the release of this book. I think it's going to do fantastic. I think even if you're not into the naval aspect of it and you want to read, A, a good Kings of War book, or B, a good fiction book in general, I think people are going to be very pleased. Yeah, I think that was one of the big parts of it. Any of these books, be it fiction, nonfiction, gaming, history, whatever, it's always about balance and thinking about your audience. And I wrote this trying my very best to make it open that if you're a big fan of kings of war but armada the idea of it doesn't really grip you it, even if you just like the kings of war setting you wouldn't need to know anything about armada to read this book i don't think it is a kings of war book been great to see the announcement of armada and how much enthusiasm has been for it so I, I don't think that's going to be an issue anyway it seems you know the community have just grabbed it with both hands and are really excited about it and to tie back into the original question felix it was very tough to not put anything out about this because like i said we had to list with a list this on our distributor simon and schuster so that way they can start putting it out as promotions and everything and i i had to work very closely with the team at mantic so we did not list it on the distributor until the day the announcement went live so while that might hurt us in terms of promotion and you know making sure it gets out far enough i think it counterbalances that you know, Mantic fans saw that it announced on the same day and know that it's a direct tie-in together. So that was the toughest part is the, the back-end stuff that not everybody sees that we deal with at the publishing house. It's That's the d- most difficult was trying to make sure we got it out to the right channels with enough time. Sure. Yeah, that's always a, a delicate dance when you're dealing with outside because – you know, obviously it's easier to keep it when it's in house, keep it, you know, under wraps, but when you're involving outside organizations that don't necessarily care to have it oh yeah, surprise or whatever. <laughs> but um yeah, pretty cool. I, I, I thought that was kind of the, the one part that kind of surprised me. Well good. I'm glad it was a nice little surprise. I didn't know about it. I remember you talking about it after the phone call and all that kind of stuff that you mentioned before. And I remember you mentioning something about it in the vague future and then when it came out it was a total surprise to me so it you guys did a good job of keeping it under wraps and and bringing it out as a as a pleasant surprise right now i think most of the community was pleasantly surprised by that so good job on that 
See, there we go. We had we, we had to have it so much under lock and key. Our other authors didn't even know it was. <laughs> Did this even come up during the lore committee or anything? I mean, you guys had it that far locked down. It was it wasn't announced on the meeting we had. Matt sent it to me separately because he didn't want the authors to know about the upcoming game without first establishing who was going to be writing it. At the time when it when we were taught when he was talking to me about it, it was we're gonna have it coming out soon. We don't know when, but we have this idea and it's definitely gonna happen. So it wasn't discussed on the lore meeting because we were covering other subjects. But that was like a kind of a secret thing between you know Matt, Rob, Vince, and I. So yeah, the, we we have our we have our secrets with Mantic. You know, we have our secrets that not even uh, Mark and Ben know that we talk about. Mwahahaha. <laughs> temple's fingers <laughs> so i mean yeah definitely it seems like that was probably a project you had vaguely out in the future and then all of a sudden mantic goes hey that you know this thing we've been discussing for maybe a couple years down the road do you mind doing that in nine months <laughs> uh, seems like to me that was the thing is they dropped it on us I think, like I said, in the beginning of the year, if not like maybe maybe the start of COVID. So we've had just this year to put everything together from the inception of the talk of it to the actual finished product of the novel. So it, it has been a very crunch time. It, it's It's been fantastic, though. Don't get me wrong. But it, it, just, it was definitely something new. And uh, I had a lot of fun getting it done in such a short time because I didn't think it was possible. But it, it, as we can see, it is. We're on the... Uh, we're on what is going to be the final draft um, when I'm done going through this, and then we're going to send it out to some advanced readers, get some reviews. Right. I, I was going to say with, with Mark, it was kind of the core nucleus of this novel. Was that just an idea you'd had sort of tossing around in your head for a while now? I mean, how how do you, you know, once you say like, yeah, I'm going to do a Kings of War novel or you know based on the naval stuff i mean how how did you i mean not with revealing anything you know doing much but just be like how do you how do you germinate that idea into you know fleshing it out into a novel because i don't sit around thinking oh i want to do you know novel x or y oh man it was it it was really difficult this one because kind of like when it, when it came to things like steps to deliverance some of the other stuff I think, you know, for, for any of us who are well and truly in our middle age and you look back to the, the, the glory days of the 80s and, and, and what was kicking around in the gaming world back then, uh, role play games, a lot of people were into them, and, uh, you know, as a youth and uh, Steps to Deliverance, I could, I could kind of just go, OK, role play characters from D&D, &D, let's take them, let's let's turn them into a Kings of War concept and let's let, let's kind of run with that. This I, I couldn't. And this was from scratch. This was this was tricky. But it, I think it ties into one of the community questions we had anyway, which is about that creative process. And everyone's, every author's got a different way of doing it. You could start with the, the absolute basics of, are you the sort of person who's going to shoot from the hip, accepting you'll have to change uh, a lot as you go through and there'll be a lot of edits? Or are you going to plan it meticulously for ages and then just write it in a wanna? I, I'm in the former. I, I'll... I'll uh, I, I'm kind of flexible as I'm going through it. But for this, uh, what I did was plan the characters out meticulously. So the four or five main characters, the first thing I did was really, really have a long think about them, about where they are in their life, about the, what they're good at, the, the most important thing of the characters, what they're bad at, what their flaws are, what their journey is going to be of they start off in a relatively bad place. How do they finish at the end? What's, what's that journey? 
Uh, and then once you've got that core cast of characters, you just need an adventure for them. Uh, and Matt Gilbert helped a lot with that. He, he really did. I, I kind of went and said, here's roughly what I want to do. Uh, and here's the constraints I've got. Here's the problems. Uh, and one of the first things he did, which really helped a lot, is I said, I, I want to set this in a low sea of swan because I, I want this to be close to the abyssal scar because I want the orcs as the bad guys. And he said, well, that's that's not a factor. Orcs are everywhere. They are like this horrible, nasty plague that just crops up everywhere. They may have originated over there, but they've had, you know, centuries to spread across Panathor. So you, you set it where you want. So I was like, oh, brilliant, infant sea. I want that. I want the sunny Caribbean feel. So, uh, so, so we'll go there instead. And then it kind of blossomed out of uh, the, the whole kind of anti-piracy thing. Uh, and you know, what do pirates do in reality? Which is not necessarily just drink rum, bury treasure, and you know, do funny dances. They, they, they tend to raid shipping lanes. So we need to set up some shipping lanes and work out trade and how it works to the city of the Golden Horn. Uh, where the where, where the choke points are, what the threats are. If you were a pirate, where would you strike? If you were in counter piracy, where would your base of operations be? Uh, and then you, from there, you branch out and start to think, how does the Basileian Admiralty work? What ships would you want here? Bearing in mind, you've also got war fighting as well. So the big dictator class ships, which aren't in this book, you wouldn't want those where, where it's set. You'd want those where you're going to be in, you know, kind of conventional war rather than anti-piracy. So it just kind of grew from there after that, really. I do have two things I want to man- mention, though, real quick about characters. First of which is I've been giving mantic approval to not drop this little thing. The main character of Pius is a character in the rules for Armada. So we have a direct tie in between book and game, which is a first and a fantastic first, if I say so myself. Secondly, there is a direct tie-in between a certain Steps of Deliverance character and a character in this novel. So fans of continued continuity between the novels will see a nice little nod. Very cool. That's uh, I, I like that. I like uh, it, it's, you know, it definitely helps when when the the world feels lived in. You know, it's not like you're just getting hey, brand new character X that no one has any connections to. You know. You know, I, I love it when you have you're able to tie all those things together, and you can read parts of a novel and be like, "Oh yeah, that dude was from other novel I read." So that, that's really cool. I really, I really appreciate that. You know, with our books that we've been pushing out from Lingdasar. Definitely, and something that Mantic wants us to start adding, which is a great idea, is we're going to start adding years to the books, so people okay. can see what time they're set in, and they can see the connection between them. So like the, all the ones that we have out right now are set in version three. So they're all around the same period, and that's how we're able to have crossover. But, you know, the what is it? The God War book, did it, Rise of the Celestians, that's obviously going to be set in pre-pre-pre-mantic time. So we'll have a year on every book going forward, and I'll establish a timeline for years on the other ones. And we'll have a giant timeline so everybody can see where each book falls. That's awesome. That's something that I don't think's actually been really utilized in very many uh, game-to-novel adaptations. I know – Games Workshop, it was always just a shoot from the hip. It kind of happened in this vague time period kind of thing. And it was always very nebulous as far as how things stacked together. And there wasn't a whole lot of connection between the game and the and the and the novels. So that's that's a really cool um, addition to the to the whole lore. And to, it shows a kind of dedication on both the publisher and the, you know, and the game creator. So that's that's actually really cool. 
Yeah, well, also, the thing you got to remember is since Vince has had 20 years working in Black Library and knows all the tricks of the trade and the things that worked and didn't work, we're now taking all that thing experience of what worked and we're now expanding on it with, you know, me being directly involved in the community. I always want to work on what you guys want to see. And, you know, Ben, you being in the community, you can take that knowledge of what the community wants and bring it forward. Mark is in the community trying to, you know, see what people want to bring it forward. Uh Ray Greenley, our audiobook guy, he has now joined the community. He's like involved in things. That's one of the biggest things that we're trying to do is just be involved and see what you guys want and what works, what doesn't work, and just expand on the good. So whatever you guys want to see, you know, let us know and we'll continue to try to do whatever it is that we can to achieve the best possible response from the community. So how did you guys come up with the title of the book? How does that tie into everything? It's the uh, name of the, the main frigate in the book is the Hegemony Warship Pius. So as soon as I agreed to it, uh, Matt kindly brought me into the playtester group. So I got to see the game evolving in front of me. Also, as with all of the Mantic stuff, there's these short stories uh, scattered around the rulebook. So even before the rulebook had been put together in its first format, those short stories were sent across to me. So I started to get a feel for what Mantic wanted and the direction they were going. And you get a little bit of a feel from these short stories um, about each of the navies. So, and again, Basilea has always had that religious aspect to it, uh, which is deeply embedded in its law. So I kind of thought, well, you know, warships of uh, of bygone eras, what were they named? Yeah, kind of took that concept and said, well, what would Basileia name their ships? And certainly with an Elohi-class frigate, so, you know, that has literally got religious relics in its hull as part of what it is, then it's probably going to have uh, names which, which tie into faith, hence, hence calling it pious. You know, being that you were kind of brought in, you know, into the playtester group and stuff like that. Do you do you know if there's going to see you know any armada scenarios that might, you know, might have been inspired by things in the book or or vice versa? You know, because you're able to kind of see these scenarios as they're developing. Yeah, I, th- I think the game was more inspiring the book rather than vice versa, uh, right. because I, I, I was watching the playtesting unfold in front of me. I wasn't a part of it, but I could see see what was going on with it, which was absolutely vital, because all of the ship classes in the book are stuff which you know there's, there's miniatures for. So you've, you've got to know how they how they work, what their strengths and what their weaknesses are in game to then kind of put it in the book. So, yeah, um, scenarios wise, I don't think there was, as, there was as much of a direct link in some of these scenarios in the book are, are uh, pretty fantastic. The stuff I'm writing in the novel tied in more to sort of real world naval exploits from from like the 1700s and 1800s and how that would happen except with more orcs and goblins thrown in because to the best of my knowledge they weren't really knocking around the spanish main that much it's a bit more one way i'd say I'd, i'd say the novel takes more from the game than the game does from the novel so in regards to that, as far as the game design and all that kind of stuff, do we do we know who wrote like the short stories and the narrative fluff in the rule book? And did you have any t- opportunities to like collaborate with them or talk with them and kind of get in their headspace as far as what so it kind of had that continuity between the rule book and the novel? A really good point came out of exactly that actually. Yeah. The the short stories were written quite quickly. 
and th- th- they were there, they were passed to me, and they were done and dusted. There was a little bit of a two-way thing in that um, I, I kind of came back and said just some of the lore around some of the ships could potentially cause problems in the future. Just things like, uh, without picking any specific examples, there were some ships which on a tabletop would be fine, and that's cool. But in the strategic picture, in the big thing, the way you've described the law, these will be hugely powerful, hugely, and you need to give them more vulnerabilities from a, from a naval point of view. These things are too powerful. Uh, and and Mantic listened, and and they did stuff about that, and made a couple of tweaks in the uh, in the law and the rulebook from from what I said, which was very you know very nice to see. They were really subtle. The um the thing which was about orcs because it's about a load of humans um some beasties and demons and stuff so so that was okay uh, and then orcs come into the mix with this one and obviously you know orcs it exist in so many different settings from tolkien to games workshop to world of warcraft to take your pick and all variation so not that subtle variation uh so i wrote the orcs and then i sent a sample chapter or two to matt and that's not our orcs you're writing another company's orc. so it was i had to change them i had to make them less comedy and a lot more brutal mantic orcs panathor orcs are nasty pieces of work there's a lot less sense of humor to them a bit more wily so i had to have a little rethink about that but that wasn't any great to have that two-way flow of uh which came the stories in the rule book and to have that instant guidance of here's me i've written some stuff am i going in the right direction send it to man and get an answer back literally is where you're going right so to go in this direction instead so, so it was a really good relationship in that in that respect that is something that's involved with uh, with everything that's going on and the communication awesome so i think it was it was matt then that the I'm not sure. I don't think it was. Uh, I would have to dig out the uh, the copy which was sent to me and look through the credits. I don't think it was Matt, but I'm not sure. The lore for the orcs in the Kings of War universe is kind of stilted as far as um, there isn't a whole lot of information about the orcs that we know of. And so with you writing the first book that really has orcs in it, and we get to see, as you said, Mantic's take on a very common theme throughout fantasy. You, you've mentioned that they're brutal. They're more brutal. They're more wily. They're more, uh, they're more intense uh, as far as that's concerned. I guess what kind of research did you have to do and what kind of inspiration did you take from that? And kind of give us a bit of an idea, because this is really the first time orcs have really taken any kind of a center stage in the lore of um, of Mantica and any of this in any of the stories other than the short story we got in the uh, in the first uh, anthology that we got where it kind of links them a little bit to the herd and all that kind of stuff. But even that it was vague, it was distanced and all that kind of stuff. This is the first time we're actually going to see orcs as. Uh, the main antagonist and the main lens through which we see Panathor. So can you give us a little bit, without giving anything away, obviously, can you give us a little bit more of an idea of what that lens looks like and, and how how we can interpret this race as as seen through Mavic's? Yeah, sure. Um, the, the process for it was initially trial and error. I, re- uh, I looked through all of the uh, because we've got the um, uh, Wing to Sar. I've got the library of all the PDF copies of literally everything Kings of War from first through to third ed. So, we, so it's scouring everything uh, and looking for uh, for kind of what you got to to start with. 
and then start with, with things like dialogue some other orcs you know do all of the, uh, the the kind of comedy chanting of here we go when you're going into war and all that sort of stuff and are uh, kind of a lot chattier and a lot funnier with it I had a lot of guidance again from Matt and from Mantic saying that that's that's not how these guys are so I, I changed the dialogue a lot uh, other changes which came from Mantic is that well, these guys are sailors and this ties into one of the big issues I initially highlighted to Brandon, which is that you're writing about a really, really, really deep-seated specialist skill set when you're writing about operating a sailing ship of war. There is a lot going on. You get people like Patrick O'Brien, who've done Master and Commander and that sort of stuff, C.S. Forrester with Hornblower, and and all of these kind of classic Age of Sail stuff, where a modern reader might need kind of five hours on Wikipedia and YouTube to understand a single paragraph because there is so much terminology in there. And I really didn't want to do that. So I, so, so I stepped away with that, with the, with the human side of it and, and made it as accessible as I could. But the orcs, it gets very different because you've still got to try and make it believable and explain how do these brutal, simplistic, thuggish, barbaric creatures know how to operate a ship of war? Uh, and you've got to explain that, and that's tricky. So the goblins are the clever ones, I guess, is is the best way of doing it. Uh, specifically, you know, crudges are mentioned as they are cleverer, they are more wily, as well as being stronger than a, your standard orc. They're, it's the kind of Darwin thing that they're the ones who've made it to the top of the tree because they've basically killed the, the next one up in the food chain to get there until they make it to the top. So they are the biggest, the strongest, and the cleverest. But they're not that clever still. So I wrote a section about there's, there's, there's one of these orc characters who wants to go from being the first mate of a ship to being the captain of his own ship in this fleet. And so the, 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 the big man in charge is saying, well, you need to go and read a book. You need to go and understand how wind works against sail. You need to understand how to position your ship so that you can hit the enemy hard. Uh, and Matt came back and said, maybe make it that you need to go and find a goblin to read this book to you because orcs aren't going to read. It's decidedly unorky. So there, there was a, a lot of gu guidance from Mantic in that respect of saying that you do need to make them uh, more cunning, but not academically clever, not in any way. Ultimately, they are still, you know, an orc. They are still about hitting their enemies as hard as possible with something blunt uh, and, uh, you know, being very savage in that respect. And there is it's interesting because Mark writes a section about how, again, without giving any spoilers, how you see the orcs, how they fare uh, in naval and how the comparison with how they fare on land. There's some, you know, interesting side-by-side -side comparisons of, well, something happened at sea, so let's go to land, and you see the real brutality of the orcs, how they are on land, and how they're just, they're constantly just machines of war, for lack of a better term. It was about taking this, that they are very much in their element fighting on land, so there's a, there's a couple of minor amphibious assaults, I guess, in this, where the orcs are kind of going ashore to, to, to do their thing, where they, they do very well. Whereas to start with, uh, they're only really having successes at sea through luck rather than judgment and through just having a bigger, nastier ship than their opponents. But when the opposition starts to pick up, they realize that they need to understand what they're doing and they don't. And they're looking to human pirates for help, uh, which disgusts them as well. And the orc characters of having to deal with human pirates, because even though they've, they've kind of got a better way about them than the Basileans, they're still human. 
So it's a real swallowing of pride to, to go and to, to humans and say, we need to we need to exchange, we need to trade because we need to learn from you. Now, that said, I want to go off of that by saying now that the pirates aren't necessarily allies with the orcs. So they're you wouldn't they're not like teamed up together. What you would normally think would happen when an orc and a pirate would be in the same room that don't get along might just happen. That, yeah, without giving away too much, don't worry. There, there is a there is a pirate bar fight scene. There? And I think there was a line that uh, Vince asked you to work in that you, you did, wasn't there? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He said it, that yeah, the line uh, "you scurvy dog" has to be in there at some point. It's like yeah, that's fair. That's fair enough. Uh, so 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 that was thrown straight into the bar fight scene. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of have to, right? If you're going to talk yeah. about anything piracy, I mean, I think that's, <laughs> yeah. that's part of the laws yeah. of the sea, right? Yeah, it's kind of rude not to. Yeah, <laughs> um, it has to be there. I'm really excited about it because I think this opens up a lot of uh, a lot of world building opportunities i think it'll it'll help uh take orcs away from being just the beat stick of the of, of panathor which they probably still are because that's kind of how they've been set up to be but um uh, making them more than just a, a simple wooden bat that goes around and beats up all the other nations and kind of helps us understand what what motivates them and what 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 makes them tick a little bit at the very least so that they're they're less of a of a background species that's just there to act as the bodies for the bad guy or for the good guys to hack their way through and more of uh okay this is this is what what orcs are and kind of helps us understand them a little bit more so that's a great addition that i think this that this novel is going to offer us as far as that's concerned and help develop that as much as we can two things off of what you just said so definitely and i think that uh, one of the things with the edge of the abyss anthology is what we try to do is try to showcase all the armies so that way everybody had something to uh, identify with and some armies weren't as represented as much as we would have liked i think that people who play orcs are going to be like yeah that's my orc those are my orcs they're nasty they're brutal those are the guys i play and at the same uh, same hand with uh, world building I, I think now this is going to open the door where I'll quote what Matt Gilbert said to me recently is the novels are not supposed to necessarily expand the world of Kings of War, but expand the world of Panathor. So I think that we are going to start seeing a mix of the games when people want to. So in a Kings of War, not because I mean, ultimately, this is a Kings of War novel, but it ties directly in with Armada. It still falls under the tales of Panathor because it's not just Kings of War. It's all the games that revolve within Panathor. So I think what we can see in the future, if authors are interested, is they can use the ships and the world of Armada, the game, and they can integrate that into their novels of, you know, of Kings of War base moving forward. And just like people can, it's like Mark integrated uh, some Dungeon Saga and Steps to Deliverance. You know, this is one shared universe of Panathor. So whether it's Dungeon Saga, Vanguard, Kings of War, or Armada, you can take elements from all of those and incorporate into a story if it fits to, t to expand and build on the lore of the world of Panathor. Which I know because Nathan Arnold from Facebook asked, you know, because again, having stuff written, written about orcs, you know, are there perhaps any future plans for a more evil based i know we've had discussions about alignment on other various podcasts you know about alignment in kings of war any future projects involving quote-unquote evil uh races kind of give them more of a voice because you know right orcs are getting a voice in this one but are there any plans you know in the future for other races um let me look what i have real quick i don't see the the tricky thing about that is 
how do you tell a story from an evil perspective but still make it a good novel? It can be done. It can definitely be done. Right. But, you know, uh, what what draws most readers to a novel is the relatability of it. You want to be able to relate to the main character. You want to be able to find something of shared commonality. And when you're writing a book with evil characters as the protagonists, as you use that word loosely, um, you don't – how do you find something relatable unless it's the flaw of the antagonist, uh, the the evil characters? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How do you find something relatable in a villain, you know, without – it's it's a very tricky subject, and I think we would like to explore it at some point and see – like there are certain characters – there's a novel that's going to be exploring a certain big character that I don't remember if I've actually discussed or not, but I'm going to keep it vague in case I haven't discussed it. But there is a novel including one of the big main characters who may or may not be evil, and it's going to be telling – you know we're going to talk about some of the more tragic elements of that character's backstory that made them the character that they are. So it's going to be done. We're going to do it very carefully. But primarily I think we're going to see the more villainous races through the eyes of an antagonist point of view. Like right. um, what – like the orcs in Pius, you see there's a point of view – the crudger has a point of view character. So you do see the eyes through the eyes of the orcs. I think that's going to be, again, something that the orc players are really going to like to see. but as a main focus of a novel, it's, it's very tricky to do and you have to do it right. And so we haven't found a way to do it right yet, but that doesn't mean we're not going to like, um, Matt Gilbert is going to be writing the goblin King. So there's some more, they're more like, uh, what are, what are goblins technically in the Mantic universe? Are they neutral or are they evil? Evil. Okay, so there you go. They're there. You're going to see an evil point of view from Rob's book. But again, it has to be done very carefully because I don't know. Like when I and it also goes back to my feelings on darker universes in general. Like you get the with tropes with typical tropes where the good guys win. There's a reason why people like it is be and there's a reason why it's a trope is because you relate with the good guys and you want to see them win. But when you look at shows like Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, there's a definitely a calling and a fan base towards them. And I found them really interested in the beginning. But you can only watch the main characters get beat up so many times before you go, I I can't. I, I'm losing faith in it because I've <laughs> lost all my favorite characters. There's nothing to relate to. It's just the bad guys winning over and over again. And it, if you play a bad guy race in this universe, you're like, yeah, the bad guys are winning. But if you're the majority of people who want to just read a book and relate to somebody, it, there's nothing there. Right. And I Thanks. think so. Ben did a very good job with the neutral, though. I think with Drowned Secrets, that's a very good job of straddling the line of the, the, the moral gray. You know, you have characters who are neutral, who they're not good and they're not bad, but you see elements of both sides showing through. And that's, I think the neutral characters are have a stronger storytelling force behind them than they do the evil characters but that's just my opinion all right so it sounds like it's time to go through the rest of the listener questions so i've compiled the list and i've compiled my answers and uh mark if you want to chime in and i'll I'll, you know pass it on to you when it relates to your questions and felix and ben if you guys want to jump in on any of these please feel free to if you want to throw your opinions in 
But one of the first ones is uh, Ian Kane asks if we had any advice on writing narrative frameworks for campaigns. He says he likes to do alternating Vanguard and Kings of Work games for campaigns now. It would be interesting to hear how the professionals do this. And uh, I had to, I had to think about that for a while because I wasn't. You could take that in a couple different ways. But ultimately, when I think of like narratives worked into campaigns, I remember the Lord of the Rings tabletop game, and that was kind of even though. Vince, my father, worked for Games Workshop. We went to Games Days for as long as he had worked there, and I always got assigned to the Lord of the Rings tables, and I had so much fun just doing a different campaign every year. And even when I was home playing with my friends, we would do different, you know, collect as many miniatures and make all the different campaigns and everything. And it was interesting to see how every, you know, every scenario tied into the movie, and you had that giant campaign where you can go from one scenario to the next to the next. And uh, one of the things I think... You know, you can't really do that so much in a general campaign because you don't have anything to base it off of. But I think one of the best things to do is have named characters or create stories for the players to engage in. You know, have name make characters and backstories and objectives and things like that to keep it interesting. Then another thing is it's also very situational. Like if you're doing the questions you kind of have to ask are uh it, are you using the same army or are you using different armies? Are you using the same players? Are you using different players, same location, different ones? There's a lot of conditionals to that situation to really get a definitive answer. So my best thing to say is just kind of figure it out on the fly. Like have a loose idea of where you want to go, but create things to help keep the players involved. You know, if you're using like if you're doing OK, everybody's doing one battle and then. All right. So now that we've gotten the results, now we move on to the next stage in the campaign maybe come up with um, advantages and disadvantages. All right, so the guys who won the last battle, if they're still in the campaign and haven't been killed off, then, you know, say, okay, now you guys have to deal with this. Like, oh, now the the losers have some advantage that the victors have a disadvantage onto the next round. So it, there's a lot of conditionals, and I, I think I need more of a specific, like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want to improve. How can you help me with this? It's a very kind of broad question to try to answer. Can I jump in and offer some suggestions with that as far as, as some ideas for some some skeleton work for all of this kind of thing? Definitely. The, some things that I would suggest is uh, whatever you can do to get your players invested in, in whatever it is going. They have to feel like they have skin in the fight. So some ways of doing this is have them create their own battle cabinet or their own roster of, you know, three or four generals or characters in their army or you know a specialist for their vanguard something like that and and tie something to that make it so that they're they're invested in their characters to help move that story along and through whose eyes they're going to see this campaign make it so that the battles affect each other so that they're not just standalone battles you know we're gonna go play a 2000 point game those are all basic things that uh, that most campaign supplements will talk about as far as uh, getting getting more out of a campaign. Because if all it is is just another game night, the campaign's not gonna it's gonna peter out. It's not gonna go anywhere. It's not gonna it's not gonna draw the players back, kind of thing. Whereas if you have it so that if you win this Vanguard, say picking from a Kings of War perspective, you know we're sending in this specialist group to sneak into the castle. And lower the drawbridge for a siege battle the next next week or later that evening or something along those lines and have an, a victory condition and a defeat condition. So if they win, 
this is what happens. And if they lose, this is what happens. And that's how it's going to affect the next battle kind of thing. Um, we do that a lot on the international campaign day. We build on each, um, each battle will then have a subsequent bonus that goes into the next game. And that game, once it determines it has a, has a bonus that goes into that. And then there's overall bonuses and stuff like that. And that helps to serve uh, the players to, to motivate them. You know, we really need to win this because we really need this bonus. And right now, our side's kind of on the on on the back foot. So if we win this, it might help us regain some momentum and all that kind of stuff. And it's a very, a very easy way to give that give and take uh, sensation, that flow of the battle kind of sensation in a campaign setting. It's just kind of like uh, people who play sports video games, right? You're not actually putting on the pads and going out there and and hitting each other and all that kind of stuff. But it simulates that experience of managing a team and being out on the on the field. And that's exactly what you're going for you're not going to don't worry too much about reality so much as the sensation of reality when you're building your campaign with these bonuses and all that kind of stuff agreed that's just been my experience from running some campaigns and from seeing some things and and working in the narrative the narrative is something that you can work on in between the battles and that's kind of that can be some of the fun you can even ask your players hey you know, what do you guys see as having happened in this battle? And oftentimes your your players will have their own ideas, especially if they're drawn to being in a campaign. They obviously have a flair for the dramatic in any case. And so they probably have some ideas as to what happened in each battle and why they're going from one battle to the next. And your job as the organizer is to take those ideas, filter through them and, and then come up with a, a cohesive and sometimes more or less cohesive storyline that links the battles together and can be given to your players to read on their own time kind of thing, because nobody has time to read this, the story if they're going from one game right into the next. And oftentimes they'll be, they'll be talking about that anyway, and, and it'll be an ongoing developing thing too. And of course you want to make sure that if your side wins, something positive happens, unlike what happened in our, summer campaign when the dwarfs won but anyways i'm not going to talk about that anymore <laughs> mark did you want to weigh in on your um experience in the industry with that what you've all said is is spot on i think unfortunately the the stuff i've done is is a different slant the i've written well two because of the uh the current situation two are in limbo uh, so haven't been published yet but i've written five campaign books for bolt action which have have got all of this in and exactly as you said first thing you got to do is define what is victory so what's the end state who wins and how and that might be different for team a and team b if you're linking these things together you almost end up with like a decision tree where you say okay at the end of battle one Am I going to have major victory team A, minor victory team A, same for team B, and then draw? So I've got five outcomes, and then you draw a line, five lines out of that, and say, well, what, what's the effect of that for both teams before we then move on? You may get to the point where if you go along one side of the tree uh, far enough, it, it could link in with another. The, you know, Two victories for team A into two victories for team B could be the same as if it was switched the other way around. You just end up in a state of neutra- neutrality at the end of it. That's all probability. That's all sort of quite dry maths but i guess the question is more about the narrative side of it which most of the stuff i've done has been historic but yeah i i think with this it's it's tying it into defining victory uh and therefore say and you know what are the pros and cons for both players and and, and trying to come out with something creative in your narrative to to encapsulate that so um next question is uh if there were going to be any more audiobooks coming out and uh by, this was by Danny Graves. And uh, yes, 
we will be having audiobooks coming out, hopefully on the regular. We've done audiobooks with different uh, franchises that we've published in the past, but uh, so far Kings of War has had the most positive reception and people really like to see the audiobooks. So we're going to keep moving forward with them. Drowned Secrets is going to be the next one we move to audio. And then with the way the schedule is going, hopefully look for Pius to be the next audiobook after that. Feedback's always good. You know, Ray is, like I said before, Ray's part of the community. So he's seeing all the feedback and comments you guys have and anything you like, anything you feel, anything you want to say, always reach out. And we always try to improve what goes on in the audiobook process, just like we try to go improve what goes on in the writing process. Just keep in mind, it's two completely separate processes. You know, with, with the audiobooks, it's it's Ray kind of recording and, you know, getting the direction he needs from Mantic and us. But he does his own thing versus with the writing, I'm directly involved with making sure everything comes out as perfect as we possibly can. But yes, we are going to keep doing audiobooks as much as we possibly can. Ray is a fantastic guy, and we love all the work he does. Now, Brandon, when we had Ray on the show, he mentioned that you know if somebody wanted to get involved with possibly being an audiobook voice for Kings of War... How would they do that? We actually, in the forums today, someone had a suggestion uh, for a voice that they really like of another YouTuber that they thought would have interest. So I asked them to reach out to me if, you know, there's something like that. But, I mean, um, I'll send that to you. But how would somebody express their interest in that to you? Um, as always, they can reach out to the uh, editor at WHP.com, and that'll go to our, our main person who's care of the emails, and they'll forward it to Vince. And Vince is the man in charge who can go over, you know, talking about things. I guess what we would really need is just a sample of voice, a sample of reading lines, sample of, you know, any audio that they've done in the past. And uh, then we could, you know, if it's something we want to pursue and if their pricing is, you know, in our range, we could do like we do with any author and like we do with Ray and we issue a contract and, the, you know, about producing the audio novel and then they get uh, i think like a royalty on a number on a certain number of audiobooks that sell but it's pretty much the same process as submitting a novel you know is just reach out to us give us a sample and then uh, we can take it from there fantastic what's our next question uh we got a couple from steve hildrew um one we already answered which was what's mark's process and if he maps the whole story right as it comes i think mark you've nailed all that the next one is how much editing is done to keep the, the stories canon within the Kings of War lore. And it can be tough at times. When we broach a new faction, we try to keep that author on that faction. Um, we try to keep the, the lore and the understanding of the lore to one author so that way we don't have so many authors all writing about the same thing granted i i if somebody gives me a good pitch i will be glad to look at it and uh, you know try to have them like if somebody sent me a basileia novel it was really good and we were looking to publish it i'd say okay great and i'd say to mark hey can you look this over for me when you get a chance just look at the kind of the vague things and see if there's anything that stands out as not you know, lore canon. Same thing goes if I got a Trident Realms or Dwarf novel, I'd say I'd send over to Ben and say, hey, I know you've been working on these factions. Can you just skim through it when you get a chance and just see if there's anything that stands out to you as not being more accurate? Um, I'll give you guys a little bit of a glimpse of what goes on behind the scenes. When I get a pitch sent to me and I, you know, I'm always willing to look at pitches because you never know who's going to be the next big author. Like there's Plenty of people who have never published a novel that have tremendous writing abilities. And I'm all about giving people chances that have the heart and commitment to write a novel. 
So people will send pitches to me. I'll review it. If I think the writing, you know, there's, there's certain key things I look for when I'm reviewing a pitch, you know, is does the person know what they're talking about? Does the person, does it fall within a Kings of War story? Does it, you know, is the grammar written correctly? Is, does it seem like they know at least have a, a grasp on the English language to write something that could be coherent? Once it checks those boxes, I send it over to Mantic and I say, hey, can you guys just take a look and see what you think of this? And they check to see if things are um, canon, accurate and not imposing on anything that they've already planned. And, you know, we've had to reject a lot of pitches based on those three categories. That doesn't mean that the person doesn't have a good writing skill. It doesn't mean that they don't have the capabilities to write a novel. But what people have to keep in mind is if we reject a pitch, it's because either it's imposing on something that Mantic has plans for that they don't want to retcon, meaning that, you know, we're doing you a favor by not doing this. That way your novel doesn't just go to the 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 wind and not mean anything. And, you know, it might be that you've interpreted the lore wrong. One of the big issues, you know, it, it's easy to read the book, read the lore and say – read the rule books and say, this is what the lore says, but that's not always what it means. We, you know, we have issues a lot with the, the rules say something, but we read it differently than what Mantic intended it to say. And that's one of the greatest things about having open direct communication with them is, you know, if something doesn't seem right, we can just ask them, Hey, is this, is this correct? And they'll say yes or no. Either they'll say, yes, you've got the right of it or no, you've got it completely wrong. And it's a mixed bag. It happens. Both happen a lot. You know, our authors are really good about interpreting the lore and we have a lot of things that we hit home and it's exactly how they intend it. But the same token, there's a lot of things that even as a group, we can decide this is definitely what this says. And then we send in the Mantic and they say, that's exactly not what it says at all. So it it's having that communication between Mantic, the authors and us at Wing Touch Publishing that we're able to keep things as correct in the canon as possible it's not easy and it does take a lot of work between all parties involved but you know in the end we try to make sure that there's nothing that we write that will ever be retconned especially now as our relation has evolved with mantic and you know we, we the authors have direct communication where they can themselves go and say hey what do you think of this i'm just i can read the emails and see what's going on it really helps to make sure that we're all on the same page and then it also ties into, you know, the timeline that I talked about before. I want to we want to try to establish that timeline so people can then see where all the books fall and where the canon is. And we try to link the books up as accurately as possible. But there's not always there's not always room to make references to a, pre, a previous book where we can. We always try to drop references like with the first couple books. I know uh, Mark Barber, Ben and Mark uh, DeSantis were all trying to tie at least one little nod to each of their different books in their books so that way we would have the three starter books all have some tie to one another um with re with us reworking nature's night and bringing some more authors involved into that process we've now been able to tie books in um there's ben put a nod to drowned secrets james dunbar i believe has a nod to claws in the plane in that and uh mark i think you may or may not have a steps tie in i forget but that also said we also try to keep as much fan nods as possible Mark and I talked about we have a very, very, very special community nod that we're putting into Pius. So look forward to that. That'll be a good one. And then uh, Ben or Mark, either of you want to chime in on your experience at working with the canon and the lore and everything? 
one of the big things for for me, I remember when I was working on making my first submission, even the Wing Kassar, was I wanted to pick something that was uniquely Mantic. And that's why I chose Trident Realm, because I can't really think of very many other games that have an entire race kind of quite like Trident Realm. And one of the, the big things about it was sometimes it's something that's nailed down and is really solid and all that kind of stuff. Other times you're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. I know that uh, as we were working through it, we've, we've had that infamous uh, gender question that came up in my book that we had to go back and fix. That was that was fun. But also there's things like that Mantic gives you quite a bit of liberty to as, a, as an author. I remember the whole underwater battle scene in mine uh, was basically me just shooting from the hip and seeing what what Mantic would be OK with. And it came back the way it did, um, which was a lot of fun. Uh, one of the the saving graces that I found while while working through this is uh, making certain things singular rather than than broad strokes. Um, when you until you've got more things down about the lore and you have a a, a better working relationship with Mantic, I think it's if you want to submit an idea, make it so that it's regional rather than overarching uh, so that you can say, well, this is how the, this is how they, uh, how the, this clan of ratkin, this is how they work. And this is how they function rather than saying all ratkin, this is how they work. This is, this is how this specific group that I'm working with in my story does it that way. If it comes back that Mantic develops an idea that goes against what you're saying for the overarching uh community of that of that race or whatever you can say well that that may be true for the rest of them but for this group this this worked out well and so it works for that story and it holds up cohesively as a narrative and if it is changed or if something is different uh, is stated later on down the road you can still say yeah but this is still canon because of this and that was one one thing that uh, that helped a lot with with building the story, building drowned secrets, and then moving on from there. Once you start communicating and all that kind of stuff has been has been my experience. I don't know, Mark, if you have anything that's different in that area. Nah, very similar. It ties into like about five points we've, we've talked about on this podcast alone um, of engaging with Mantic, talking to each other as authors, having nods to each other's books. It, it, it all it's all one big picture. And I think it's um, it started well with the first book and it's and it continues to improve. So, yeah, you know, the regional stuff, totally agree. Uh, the uh, Paladin order that uh, is in Steps to Deliverance, for example, the version three of the rules came out after that and said, no, 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 we've had some references to Paladin orders and to Paladin chapters. They are now definitely chapters. And so I was like, ah, well, I raised my hand at that point and said, but I've written a novel and I've done an order. So instead of them saying, well, that's a problem, they said, okay, let, let's think of a way we can fix it. And between us, we said, okay, uh, when the Paladins as a, an institution were first created, there were two orders, very similar to the Hospitallers and the Templars in real life. And then they were the two big heavy hitter orders. And after that, chapters have, uh, have fallen out of that. So there are two original orders and then everything else is chapters. So the, the order you see in Steps to Deliverance is the second order that was ever created. And it all works and it's all law and it's all canon. Uh, so we find ways around it by just 
kind of sticking paint in a corner and not the whole thing and saying right this is this is my view of Basilea therefore it has to be everyone's view no no one wants that uh, and then there's there's tying in with the other authors yeah if it's anything Basilea I'd be pretty confident to have a crack at trying to explain it but exactly as you said if if, uh, if I have to dip into trident realms or dwarves I'll be straight in touch with Ben because um my research I will dig really deep into the areas I'm writing about but a very very superficial overview of the areas I haven't written about so yeah I think we've all got our own little areas and and we need to kind of a respect the other guys who are doing the other areas to say right I need to ask you what you think about this uh, and also lean on them and say look I need a bit of help here so so, so yeah it, it all kind of works out with that it ties into the RPG as well because we're the guys uh, wing to saw who are still writing segments of the RPG law so so that so that is going to tie in directly there's not going to be any miscommunication between those two separate areas of the franchise uh, and it's a steadily improving picture in that mantic are looking at what we're doing more and more and more in a good way uh, and it's not in a stop don't do that it's in a okay i see what you're trying to do it doesn't tie in with our uber secret plans so here's some options for you and that's what i've had a few times where it's like i want to do this and i said you can't really do that but we see what your end state is here's here's three options pick which one works better for you so so yeah the the the, the very it's a it's a good process Right, so it's kind of like in a uh, in role playing game as a dungeon master, it's the uh, yes and no but sort of uh, <laughs> kind of mentality. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that, that's that's pretty cool. I, I like that uh, kind of collaborative, you know, lore building. You know, and that said, I want to piggyback off of something Ben said is with with submissions. Try yet, yeah, like he said, try to keep things in a small community as opposed to you know the overarching plot. You know, the big thing is. You have to look at with Ben and Mark's novels individually. They both started off with a faction in Kings of War. It had small, you know, uh, plot and didn't over build against the overworld plot. But then each of them now have novels that they're going on to do bigger things with. And, you know, then they could even potentially we've, we've been talking about potentially those novels they started with affecting the bigger world plot. Do not. You know, don't send a submission that you want to break the game right off the bat. You know, it, it's I've been you know, I've been told advice of you don't want to publish your your big, big life's work as your first thing. You want to start small and then build up. So if you want to build if you want to publish a Kings of War novel and you have this fantastic idea, you could pitch it. But if it gets rejected because it's trying to cover area that we're not comfortable dealing with yet for or Mantic's not comfortable dealing with yet, then have a backup plan for something smaller. You know, if your work gets rejected, don't be discouraged and say, well, I'm done. Go smaller and try to, I, I was talking to another person who submitted and I said, go with what you know best, go with the faction you play. You know, most of the people who are sending me submissions are Kings of War players. So go with what you play, take your army that you go to, you know, uh, conventions and stuff with and use them as the focus of your story and don't necessarily do this overarching plot of they saved the world, the end. Go with, well, there's this problem in their area where they have to deal with goblins or ratkin or something that deals specifically with a small area that doesn't affect the general plot of the game. And I guarantee you that it will be a published thing if you have the drive to do it. One of the next questions is uh, kind of we talked about it a little bit 
And uh, Steve asked if we're going to see books on big world characters. It, as I said in the past, you know, we've had discussions with Mantic where we are saying, yes, we are going to be start using big name characters that appear in the rulebook. And we're going to be taking very precious care of those characters to work exactly with Mantic to make sure it's exactly how they want it. The big the, the first one is obviously, you know, the protagonist of Pius is going to be a character in the rulebook. So you'll be able to read about his adventures and then you'll be able to use him in Armada if you want. In Edge of the Abyss, my short story saw Prince Tal- Talonar in it. Um, that was also a little bit uh, early stages of our relationship with Mantic, so he might not be the exact way that Mantic wants to see him, but he was at least a character in there. Um, so they are toys in this giant sandbox that we're working with. So as we develop authors and Mantic wants to see works, we'll be working with those authors to develop bigger books. With Ben's novel, I've been given the go-ahead to let people know uh, I think I've talked about it in the past, but the the next big thing that we're going to be doing is we're going to be uh, delving into the dwarves. And Ben and another gentleman, Mike Rossi, the two of them are going to be the first two big dwarf novels. And Ben's novel is going to see backstories for Sven, Hernius, Bannock, and then it will also be dealing with some interesting times coming for both the free and imperial dwarves. So for people looking for something other than Basileans, yes – our focus is not necessarily Basileans moving forward, but you're going to start seeing some really interesting dwarf novels, and we're going to be expanding on the characters within the dwarf universe, the named characters. You will be seeing them, and you know Ben's been working very closely with Mantic to make sure it's how they want to see it, and uh, look forward to that. Ben, do you want to d- uh, drop anything about that while we're on that subject? Yeah, I, like you were saying, start small and then build the bigger things. So this is this is something that I'm excited to be working on. I'm, and I know Mark has also got a couple of uh, irons in that fire kind of thing. Um, not necessarily with dwarves, but with other aspects of the world. Um, I know that there's a lot of exciting stuff coming for Mantic. And um, based off the, the phone call that we had a couple months ago and, and just the amount of involvement that Mantic has with the lore and all that kind of stuff, the books are actually directly related to the lore rather than being asides about the lore kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be, which is something that I think is really fascinating because again, I, I've made this comment before with, with, uh, with black library books, which I know Vince was involved with a lot. A lot of the times it felt like there was this kind of disconnect um, because it felt like the novels were almost like uh, you had the history and then you had the based on a true story novels over here kind of thing that were that were they took elements of the lore but it wasn't it didn't line up exactly because the lore kind of was a mishmash of this happened here and this happened here and then this happened here over here but we're gonna take our own idea of that and put our own spin on it whereas with this stuff that's coming out now with with the kings of war novels something that's really cool is that it it's directly it's directly correlative basically so would, what you read in the novels is going to reflect exactly what's in the lore and it's they're they're going to work off of each other rather than being almost separate entities in that regard and i and so anybody that's interested in seeing the actual events as they occurred this is going to be your way to do it kind of thing so we're just going to go through the last two questions that steve asked mark how much research did you do on ships 
and what era i think you kind of covered this and that you kind of were looking at the era of sales and that you had a lot of friends to help with that yeah very very quickly uh, yeah it, it was based on the kind of lead up to the napoleonic era mainly but you look at the mantic miniatures they're not like 100 percent in line with that they're inspired by it so it, it ties into that earlier comment about yeah that a lot of research went into it i think if you're a thoroughbred yachting type uh, in, in your spare time you may notice an error or two but in terms of the specifics of uh, of warships in that in that day and age i think it's it's pretty representative but it's, it's certainly not historically accurate if, if that's the sort of right way to describe it but the concentration of the novel is more on the characters and how they interact rather than the, the kind of technology behind the ships but but yeah about three weeks solid of research before even putting pen to paper on chapter one all right and then steve asked one more question that is probably going to have to be further delved into on another episode because this is a big one that i know we've all talked about but where where do you stand on the basileia or actually evil debate who's kicking off with that (laughs) that could be its own episode you know i think mark we should really do you have us back on another episode and we could go into between all of us on here we could go on for a while on that there you go. All right. So uh, we should do that. So if you have any feelings either way on that that are very strong, uh, you can email me at countercharge2015 at AOL.com. And maybe we can get somebody from the community to join us as well to uh, kind of have this little debate. So there you go. A future show topic has just been born. But to sum it up, I think, Mark, you are on the side of good, correct? Yeah. Oh, gosh. How do you sum it up really, really quickly? Because it is a massive uh, subject. I think, first off, Mantica created a world where it's almost up to you. It's quite open in that space, but it is closing down as more law gaps get filled in. But, yeah, if you open the rule book, there's a good section, and the first army in the good section is Basileia. So I'd argue they're good, but that doesn't mean they're squeaky, shiny, clean in every respect. What it means is I don't think they're going to be committing mass genocide as they sweep across Panathor. Although the the kingdoms of men may well, that's why they're in neutral. They're, they're capable of more shades of grey. But it isn't a grim dark setting. It isn't a you know in the grim dark future. There's there's only shades of evil. It, it is a, a more uplifting setting where there is the capability for good. There are clearly good gods, and these are the chosen people of the good gods. But I think they are capable of evil. Would be my way of summing it up. All right, then that is all the community questions. And we thank everybody who submitted them. Anytime you know we're going to be on a podcast, always feel free to submit some more questions to us. We'd love to answer them. Thanks a lot for uh, posting that in the Countercharge forum there over on Facebook, Brandon. So definitely the next time we have uh, our questions or we know we're having a special guest on, we'll go ahead and post those because I love to get the listener questions. So, all right. Well, hey, why don't we go ahead and slide into our last commercial break? We'll come back on the other side. We'll do shout-outs, and we'll wrap up the show. There's only one Cox in Kings of War. <laughs> I'm Ronnie from Mantic Games, and you're listening to Counter Charge. And welcome back. All right, it's time for shout-outs. Brandon, any shout-outs today? I think I mentioned it when I was last on the show, but I'm going to mention it again. We do have a relatively new website now. It's whpsupplyroom.com. Um, I've, take, I've taken charge of the website and laid it out and got everything laid up there. It was a labor of love, but it looks a lot better than the old website did. It's a lot easier to navigate. It's not e- a lot easier to buy products on there. You can look specifically for every genre that we go through. 
check it out. And, you know, we were always running sales for the different conventions and everything. Uh, we ran one with Adepticon. We ran one, I think, with Little Wars. So while we can't go to shows, we're still having promotions on our website. Um, you can always pre-order all the newest books. Pius was up for pre-order on there. It hasn't been listed on Amazon yet just because it hadn't been through the distributor yet. But you can pre-order it there. And thank you guys for having me on the show. It's always a blast. It's always a fun time. It's I love being here. Well, we love having you, definitely. So what's the best place for people to find out if you're having those little sales? Do you guys have a Facebook that's probably easy for us to check? Do you guys announce them over there? Or? It's kind of a little hidden secret, but yeah, you can go on our Facebook page, and it's uh, facebook.com slash winghusterpublishing. Uh, we have a Facebook page for that. We have a Facebook page for some mock books. We now have Instagram, and we also have a Facebook group which is if you just look up Winged Hustler Publishing, you'll find it. And, uh, you know, all of our authors are in that group. So if you ever have a question directly for the authors or for any of us, you can join that group and comment on anything there. We'll always answer. But we kind of tend to not really advertise the sales on our Facebook page and more so like this, the promotions, at least. We kind of try to gear them towards the websites of the convention so that way people who were supposed to go to that convention can at least see the promotional code on there but i'll i'll see what we can do all right that sounds good so mark thanks for joining us today it's like i said in the beginning it's always a pleasure for us to have the authors on the show so any shout outs today thanks again for having me on here it's always cool to be back Uh, one very quick one for me uh, is for an up and coming company called Dragonstone Treasures who are headed by a good friend of mine Uh, their director is a guy called Tom Fern Uh, they've just completed their first game which is called Dead Flight uh, which I I was one of the play testers for it's absolutely fantastic Uh, so by all means uh, google that and have a look at it Uh, and also Tom uh, is a recent addition to the the winged hussar family and is going to be writing for kings of war as well Uh, so that's that's my shout out thanks very much there you go what's the nature of the game is it like uh, I mean it said flight so I'm assuming it's airborne but I could be wrong it's space if you it's like um if you imagine a board you're on one side your opponent's on the other and you've got your resources which is kind of like your mothership your flagship in front of you and the area in between the two ships is your kind of combat area so you'll have a mission to do and then have to decide which resources uh, which order cards you're going to use to try and uh, carry out your mission and um stop the guy opposite you on the other side of the table from doing his yeah, you mentioned that contact information earlier. What's the what's the best way to check out it on this? Uh, if you Google uh, "Dead Flight Game" or "Dragonstone Treasures," would be the best way to look into it. And he's got a he's got a second game which isn't far from completion, but I'm not allowed to talk about that yet. <laughs> but it's good. It's good. So what you're saying is we have to have you back on the show. Yeah, get him on the show. He'll he'll uh, I'm sure he'll, uh, he'll he'll be happy to talk about his uh, his his novel as well, which is uh, having spoke to him earlier today is is halfway through the first draft so uh yeah i'm not sure how much i'm allowed to mention it with brandon here so i'll, I'll keep quiet there you go all right brandon well i guess you just picked up another job yeah that's fine oh we always love having you on the show brandon so that'll be fantastic so just uh just let us know when you're ready always 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 all right felix any shout outs for today uh, i don't know i really don't it's what what day is it what's going on it's sunday morning that's why you're still a little out of it so my son's telling me it's Sunday as well. I'm glad he <laughs> glad he knows. Um, gosh, I really, I really don't have anything. I know Dragonfall GT has converted to a virtual one, but I think 
I think registration might be closed. Probably will definitely be closed by the time this comes out. I know Renegade GT in Minnesota was an in-person GT, but that is still like 10 hours drive for me, so I'm not planning on going to that one. Same interest steps. Yeah, it's a long, long time to drive. Let's see. Yeah, I don't know. I know I just finished up my last game of It's Always Sunny in Panathor, so if you <laughs> need to have that uh, Kings of War itch scratched, I know, just check. I think it's the Kings of War Universal Battles Facebook group. They have plenty of people still wanting to play games, and there's still some online tournaments and GTs going on, so check those out. Like I said, it's kind of getting through this pandemic, you know, since a lot of uh, stores were kind of uh, hurting and shut down their, uh, you know, in-person gaming. Uh, If you can still, you know, scratch that itch with uh, some online play, you know, please do so. Also still kind of support your local gaming stores because I know they got hit really hard because there's definitely not a lot of walkthrough for the gaming stores as much anymore. So if you can, you know, buy gift certificates from these stores or, you know, shop at them if you're able to. Uh, some of them converted to online stuff, so you can do that as well. But you just got to keep these game stores, you know, alive uh, through this pandemic because, you know, that's that's where Kings of War really gets its, 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 its push is these people playing in stores and stuff like that. And so, you know, we keep those stores healthy. They'll help. They can help keep the hobby healthy. So definitely. Amen to that. So, Ben, any shout outs for today? I'll just go off of my usual thing as thanks to Winkasar and Demantic and all that kind of stuff for making all these things possible, for bringing out new games for us to to play and to distract us from the fact that, you know, we don't leave our basements very much anymore. I thanks to to Mark and all the other authors for putting out some excellent stories for us to to this to also to distract us but also to entertain us and and keep the story going. Um I will say do the usual thing of if you if you read and enjoyed or listened to uh, with with Ray's contributions and in, uh, in the audiobook area, if any of these stories have sparked your interest or given you you've enjoyed them in any way, shape or form, uh, go on Amazon, go on Barnes and Noble, go on Goodreads, whatever it is, whatever is your favorite area or, you know, all of them, if you want, and leave a review because that helps boost traffic. It's always nice to hear feedback on the works that you produced and all that kind of stuff. So if you if you've enjoyed any of the stuff that's been put out, please go and review it. And if you have any ideas or if you have any comments or, you know, any anything along those lines, please don't hesitate to to contact either, you know, Wing Tassar or even us. We're all pretty active on the Facebook groups and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, reviews help. They boost the the traffic to the Amazon and the rest of the websites push towards these books. And so, if we want to see more more faces in in Kings of War and with the with the fluff, then that's the that's one of the best ways to do it right now. Especially right now, where there's not a whole lot of social interaction going on. Couldn't agree more. All right, and for myself, I've got a couple today. Number one, I'm going to riff off Felix's a little bit. Definitely shop at your local game store. We've got a plethora of Mantic stuff coming out. Armada's coming out if it's not already sold out. Uh, we have that new starter set coming out. War in the Holds. So there's lots of Mantic stuff coming out. So go ahead, pick that up at your local game store, and that would be great. It's like Brandon always says, it's helpful. It's great if you buy them direct from Wingdasar or buy something direct from Mantic, but they really like to have you buy it from somebody else 
because it just gets it out into the distri- distribution channel and shows that it's valuable. So, you know, go out there, support your local game store and do that. And, of course, I'm going to mention Easy Army, of course, because Halpy's coming out. So if you're a paid subscriber, you should be getting all the Halpy's updates right away as soon as the book drops. So you definitely want to check that out and uh, always support Easy Army. I don't know how we have Kings of War without it. So just a big shout-out to Greg and for all the hard work that he does for the community. Well, I guess that's it for today. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And, Mark, why don't you go ahead and take us out? Okay, if I can remember how. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and keep on charging those counters. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.